I invite you to turn to our text this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 13, and as I read this text, I'll remind you that earlier on in the discourse, this continues the teaching that Jesus gave his disciples on the kingdom of God, that he drew them to himself. He's talking to them personally. And the message that he's going to share with them would help them even as they put on the responsibilities that he would give them later on. And he would teach them that their value is not in what they could do for him in the kingdom, but their value is found in something else that he's going to explain in the text. And so as I, as I read this text and as we think about this this morning, I want to challenge you to listen to the words of Christ as he speaks not only a, a lesson in our history, but a message that is relevant and true today as he speaks to you about value. Uh, notice with me, if you will, uh, verse 44. I'll read through to uh, the end of our text. Uh, this is God's word. Listen to uh, Christ speaking on the kingdom. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So will it be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus said to them, Have you understood all these things? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and things old. The grass withers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things that we learn when we uh, talk about the kingdom of God is that uh, God presents the kingdom in two different ways. We said it ourselves. As we pray the Lord's Prayer, the second petition is, thy kingdom come. And when we pray, thy kingdom come, we're doing two things. The first thing we, we're doing is that we acknowledge that God's kingdom is a present reality and a reality yet to be revealed in the second coming. That the conditions that Jesus uh, explains when he talks about the reality of the kingdom are really ours. The second thing is um, we're asking God to prepare us to live out the realities of his kingdom in our lives. This is more than just an intellectual uh, acknowledgement that the kingdom exists. We're asking God 
to give us the grace to desire to live out the benefits of the kingdom in our lives for the praise of his glory. We continue this morning our theme of all peoples and all generations, the last part of our vision statement, commending the greatness of God in Jesus Christ to all people and all generations. And it answers the question, why? Why would we want to commend the greatness of God in Jesus Christ? This is just one of the texts that explains why. But it also causes us to ask a question. From where do we get our sense of value? Is our sense of value given to us based on what we can do, our performance, how good we are at our jobs, or how good we are in school? Does, it have to, does God value us because of the things that we do for him in the kingdom? How about uh, our talents and our abilities? Does God value us because we're good athletes or good actors? This morning, as I was crossing the street, one of the officers crossing the street, uh, crossing me, stopped me and said, uh, no, he, he didn't say it quite like this, but in my mind, I, I thought it. He, he said, are you an Alabama fan? <laughs> and I thought, well, I could be. <laughs> uh, so we, we, we give great value to our athletes and great value to actors and great value to people who are talented. And does God find value in us because we're talented, because we can do something? How about giving? How about does God value us because we give well? Does God value us because we have education? That's something that I struggled with. In, uh, when I was in the third grade, my, uh, my twin brother and I, because of busing, was bused from our elementary school that was in our neighborhood, an all-black school, to an all-white school. And I didn't say this in the morning service, but as a third, year, third grader, I couldn't understand what was going on. I couldn't understand all of the anger that was happening during that time. And if you talk to my brother, he would say that was one of the best experiences that he ever had. My twin brother will say that because his teacher was kind, and she spent time with him, and she nurtured him. I had a different experience. I had a teacher who didn't want people like me in her class, and I remember she, would, uh, she took us aside, and I, although I can't remember her face and I can't remember exactly what she said, I can remember, um, I can almost see in, the, in my, in my um, vision, the, the expression on her face, and I remember the impact of her words on my heart when she said, you're an animal and I don't want to teach you, and I'm not going to waste time, my time on you. And, and although I've forgiven her for, uh, for a while, it's been a long time since that happened, and I've, I've forgiven her, I can't tell you how those words have stuck with me for years. And I'm embarrassed to say, a couple of years ago when I earned my doctorate, I wanted to earn a doctorate at that time because I wanted to prove that her words were wrong. 
And when I earned my doctorate, it's almost as if I said, I want to meet her to show her that I am worth something. As I reflected on those things, I, I, I became angry, not angry at her, but angry at myself because I dared to believe what she said about me and ignored what God said. And as I preach this this morning, I, I, I want you to know that if you're in this audience, if you're listening online, and if you've heard statements like that and you believe those statements and you get your sense of value based on what other people say, I challenge you to hear what the Lord Christ said in his word. And I challenge you to believe what he says because I can tell you it is freeing. It will release you and give you a joy that's unspeakable. Now, I realize that the interpretation that I'm going to give you this morning is a little different than the one that we normally hear. Because when we talk about this parable, we usually say that the treasure, uh, that, that we are the ones seeking the treasure and the treasure is the kingdom of God. But I'm going to, I'm going to give a different view based on what Jesus said earlier in the text. When you read the vision, uh, the parable of the weeds, Jesus explains the parable of the weeds, and he identifies the man as the son of man. And so I challenge you to look at the man in this text as the son of man, the Lord Jesus. And the treasure that he finds is both corporate and individual. Look with me at verse 14. Charles Price in his commentary on Matthew was helpful in this. And so many of my thoughts uh, have been gleaned from his help. Look at verse 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. First thing I'd want you to recognize is that that treasure that Jesus speaks of is the church, that we are that treasure. We are that body of believers that he finds joy, that our identification is a large identification. We are the body of Christ, that we have a, an identity that goes well beyond our individual selves, that we belong to the church. In Psalm 8, uh, the psalmist says, What is man that uh, you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him, yet you made him a little lower than the angels? And I am amazed at that first question. What really is man? And why would God care for us? And he does through Jesus Christ. When he purchased us with his blood, he made us a people of God. Peter said it this way. He said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, you are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of his own, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, 
who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not received mercy, but now have mercy. We are beloved by God. Look again at verse 44. I want you to notice one word that Jesus uses to uh, explain the attitude of the one who bought the field. Look at the latter point of that verse. It says, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Do you know that God takes delight in us? That as he views us, the body of Christ, believers who have been washed by the blood of Christ, that he delights in us. We are his special, prized people, his own possession, people who have a new identity. It changed from not a people of God to a people of God. People have been alienated to a people of his own love, his own possession. That's why we can sing the songs that we sang the songs that celebrate the fact that we can look forward to an eternity. We can look forward to meeting God. We don't have to shrink away in fear and dread because we have a belonging. We are members of the body of Christ. So God's telling this to his disciples. And again, I find it amazing that God would talk to these group of men even before they were challenged with some of the difficulties that they would have to face. He wanted to remind them that they have an identity in him, that their identity is not in what they can do for, for him or even their, their, uh, their, uh, their actions or intents or even their desire to, to praise and follow God. It is because of who they are in him. Secondly, there's an individual value, this individual value. Look at verses 45 and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all he had and bought it. Uh, that's a beautiful description of um, what Christ did for us. And one of the things that I want you to notice is the word one there. That word one reminds us that God views us as individuals. We are not numbers before God. We're not only special because of our identity um, with each other, we are valued because of who we are individually in Christ. Uh, so much so that he knows the number of our the hairs on our head, the psalmist will remind us. And, and Zephaniah reminds us that he, he sings over us. It's a beautiful picture of delight and joy that God has in us. Um, in this parable, God uses the uh, metaphor, uh, the example of a pearl. Charles Price, in his commentary, wrote this. A pearl is the only precious stone that is produced by a living organism. A grain of sand or other irritant gets under the skin of the oyster, hurting and injuring it. 
The oyster responds by covering the injury with a substance called uh, what we would properly call mother of pearl, pouring on layer after layer of this substance until the pearl is formed as a beautiful jewel. I like that description. But uh, Charles Price says that, that we are that irritant and that Christ is the one who took our irritation and turned us into a beautiful jewel. Isaiah said that uh, he was despised and rejected. He was smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We're that irritant that uh, in and of ourselves we remain sand or grit, but God, through his grace, formed in us beautiful pearls that we are no longer like we used to be. We are more than we used to be because of Christ and because of his suffering. Though, though, for, though Christ was rich, Paul said, though for our sake he became poor, he gave all that he had. He laid aside his glory. He laid aside the splendors of heaven so that we who were poor and insignificant in and of ourselves might be people of God. What about when we fail God? What about when we sin? What about when we want to give up and walk away from God? Does God stop liking us? Does he stop loving us? Does his attitude toward us change? He gave another parable in the book of Luke, and he, he said this, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which is lost. It's a beautiful picture of Christ and his view of us. Those of us who walk away from him, he calls us back to himself with great delight. He still takes pleasure in his people because we have value, not based on what we do, but because of who we are in him. And he never gives up on us. Psalm 98 is a beautiful uh, reminder of that delight. In Psalm 98, it says, it personifies uh, nature. Let the hills clap their hands. Let the rivers, excuse me, clap their hands. Well, rivers do not have hands, or hills do not have hands. But it's an expression of joy and delight, that joy that comes from a relationship that we have in God. That's why we commend the greatness of God to all generations and all peoples because God gives us value that we can never 
attain ourselves. And that value will never be taken away. I spoke earlier about believing a message that someone told me years and years ago of how I didn't have value and I didn't believe the value that I have in Christ. That's a sad place to be. And if you're at that place where you're listening to others and your value is is demonstrated by what they say about you, your pastors here, your elders here, we want to talk to you. We want to help you. We want to share with you that your value is placed in, in Christ. Don't listen to those messages that can be damaging. Listen to the one who called you into existence and who declares in his word that you have value in Christ. So I want to close with this. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? What do you do with this value? Did did Christ give this to us so that we can merely feel good about ourselves? And no, he didn't. I mean, it makes me feel great, but there's a higher purpose. And the purpose is declaring his truth, declaring his message to all peoples in all generations. Look at verse 47 with me, if you will. Again, The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just. I think this is absolutely amazing that God did this. I want to remind you that um, Andrew, Peter, James, and John were fishermen before God called them as fishers of men. And remember, they would understand what Jesus was talking about. Here's the picture. A fisherman goes out to fish, and when he fishes, he takes a net and he throws it out. And when he throws it out, he, he drags it back in, and anything in the net gets gets sorted through. The good fish are kept and the bad fish are thrown away. Now the disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, would understand that. And I think what the Lord is saying in this case is when you share the message of the gospel, you just throw that net out as broadly as you can. And don't be concerned about who will believe and who won't believe. That's not your job. That's not my job. My job is to throw it out completely, to to cast it out. I don't know about you, but when you share your faith, don't you at times say to yourself, that person's going to believe. I I know they're going to believe. Or or you say, there's no way. They they would never, ever, ever. Yesterday, uh, many of us took part in City Serve, and some of us drove through neighborhoods that normally we don't drive through. Um, some of those neighborhoods are the neighborhoods that we, uh, we lock our doors and we roll our windows up and we say they can't believe. They can't receive them. They wouldn't listen if we told them. And one of the blessings of the gospel is that we can share the message of Christ to anyone and trust God to do with the heart what he will. 
what he determines. The other thing that's surprising in this text, sometimes when you read a text, <clears throat> something happens, and I, I don't know about you, but something happens, and I go, boy, that doesn't fit. So look, at, look, at me, look with me at verse 49. Um, well, actually, verse uh, 48. Which, when it was full, they drew it to shore, and they sat down and gathered the good into the vessels, but threw the bad away. So far, so good. And so it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, okay, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Where did you go from fishing to wailing and gnashing of teeth? Why did God do that? But I think the Lord did that to remind us of the urgency of matter. That this, this issue of sharing the, faith, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ has eternal ramifications. Those who receive the message by faith are delivered, and those who do not are cast into eternal separation. The, the task that we have commending the greatness of God to all, all peoples in all generations is a great message. It's a message that is worth our while. It's a message that has great implications. It's a message that has eternal value and wonderful value because it, it speaks to us. It identifies for us who we are in Christ. And then Jesus ends with this question to his disciples. You may have noticed it. He says, do you understand these things? And they said, yes, we do, talking about the whole body of the uh, teaching. He says, therefore, in verse 52, therefore every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a house builder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And I'll close with this. I believe if we look at treasure the way that I've been looking at it in these, in these parables, we see the treasure as people, people who belong to God. New treasure are those who have come to Christ, are people who have come to Christ recently. They're new in their faith. And old treasure are people who have been part of the kingdom of God for years and they have, uh, they have loved the Lord and they have served the Lord. And in our midst, we have both young and old. And I think what God is saying here is that don't treat one above the other. Don't treat some treasure better than other treasure. Don't show preference over some and neglect others. Find delight in all of God's incredible treasure. Shall we pray? Almighty God and loving Father, we rejoice in the fact that when you pronounced your pleasure in your creation by saying you looked over everything you have made and it was very good, that you now remind us in this parable that those that you have called out of darkness and a people who were not your people you find delight in us, and because of who you are, we 
have great value. Thank you, O God, that now we are people of God. And we recognize that at one time we did not have mercy, but we thank you, O God, that now we have mercy. Allow us to take joy in that, and because of that, proclaim or commend the greatness of God in Jesus Christ to everyone in the CSRA and beyond, because in you we have value. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.